Hello and welcome to the Gold Loppers podcast. I am definitely not Jeff Goldblum. And I'm definitely not Cindy Lauper. And this is definitely not the hit 1988 movie Vibes starring Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper, but it may very well be the next best thing. My name is Ethan May. And I'm Kylie Stone. And this is the Gold Loppers podcast. Vibes. Uh, hi Kylie. Why the fuck are we doing this podcast? Why are we doing this podcast, Ethan May? We have decided to rank the 75 highest grossing rom-coms ever in a big in a big ranking. We, we've, we've decided to go through and watch the 75 highest grossing domestic. This is by domestic box office. There's a list on box office mojo. It goes through the top 75 romantic comedies, and we are going to watch all of them. And then at the end, we're going to make a big YouTube video ranking them. We decided that since we were going to meet up and talk about the movies every week, we might as well just record it and make a stupid podcast. I agree. Oh, this is going to be easy. The first movie on the list and the movie that is the highest domestic grossing. I'm just I'm not going to keep saying domestic grossing. I'm just going to say the highest grossing. We went with domestic because if you go by international, there's a bunch of like Chinese and Bollywood movies in there, which I I'm sure they're fine movies. I just I think it's easier for us to just stick to the United States and movies that did well in the United States. The first movie on this list is My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is in first place by a landslide. This movie grossed like $240 million in the United States, and second place is Distant. The second place movie grossed like $180 million. Oh, wow. So this, this movie is the highest grossing rom-com by a long shot, and it was shot on a budget of $5 million, which Whoa. absolutely blew my mind. I think grand total, it... it Grossed something like three hundred eighty million at the box office, so it made seventy-seven times its original budget. That's awesome. Uh, Kylie, do you want to tell us a little bit about? Well, I guess before we before we get into talking about the movie, there will always be spoilers when we are talking about these movies. I I think it's so dumb to not say spoilery things, especially because these are rom coms, and every rom com is the same damn movie, so trying to do like a non-spoiler segment and a spoiler segment is kind of pointless. All right. Well, My Big Fat Greek Wedding is about a 30-year-old woman named Tula. Uh, She works at her family's restaurant and her family would love for her to settle down with a nice Greek man and have a bunch of nice Greek children, but she aspires for more. She wants to go to school and she ends up falling in love with a non-Greek man and shenanigans ensue. Oh my gosh, what did you so what did you what did you think of this movie, Kylie? I am not a rom-com person, so I don't know why I agreed to this, but I had so much fun. I I also had so much fun. I think I think the stupidest part about this is that neither of us are rom-com people. Like I, <laughs> I think we both we we both do not gravitate towards rom-coms, but oh my gosh, this is this is a heck of a movie to start with. This movie is adorable. Yeah, I liked, I obviously, there's always going to be problems with it, but I think we started off super strong and uh, that's unfortunate because that means it's only going to go downhill from here. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like we should have mentioned earlier that we're starting at the highest grossing movie and working our way down. (laughs) Uh, So we're starting, we're starting, we're starting with the cream of the crop potentially, though there are, there are bangers in all in all places. I think like the number 75 movie, I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I remember being really happy that we could squeeze it in. I think it's Friends with Benefits. Um, so there's 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 bangers all over the top 75. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. But yeah, oh, this movie is 
so silly and it's just adorable yeah and it was written by a woman it was written by uh the lead right the woman who plays tula yeah nia vardalos but yeah i know it's like semi like autobiographical yeah so nia vardalos stars in this movie she wrote it and it's based off a one woman show that she was producing in los angeles so she had she had a one woman show about an experience very similar to this and it was it was picked up by producers. They gave it a five million dollar budget and it ended up being the most successful rom-com in American history, which I think is insane and so cool. And fitting. Fitting. Well, you see, there's like a million things I liked about it, but it's so much easier to talk about the things I disliked. For one, I think Ian was I didn't like him. I didn't like the love interest. I thought he had no charisma, no charm. I did not see what she saw in him. Yeah, I I also I also do not love him. I think I think the story behind it is really interesting. He has the part because they were he met Nia Vardalos like in a bar and they liked him so much they just cast him on the spot. Gah! Like he didn't even audition for the movie. Like they just met some handsome random dude who was like, "Hey, by the way, I'm an actor." And they're like, "Hey, by the way, we need a hot guy for this movie. Do you want to be in it?" That's the dream. Which I, I feel like makes more sense when you realize that there there's not that much of a spark. I mean, it's cute. And I, I just I don't think I don't think his acting is that great. I, I also think it's so awkward that her actual husband is is his best friend or Nia Vardalos's husband at the time is the best friend. Oh, like 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 the the the, the bald best friend at the beginning who he's in the restaurant with. And the, the, yeah, the other teacher guy, that's Nia Vardalos's real husband they're, they're not married anymore but they were married at the time <laughs> that sure is weird that it's so weird and he looks like he does not want to be there at all <laughs> <laughs> like he looks like he has no urge to be in this room and i i think that shit is so funny <laughs> and they like really last minute like at the very end pair him off kind of kind of i i guess they definitely they definitely tried well i guess there's are there sequels there's sequels right there are, and neither none of them have made the top 75. I think the, the third one dropped like it is yet to drop this year. Like my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 is coming out later this year. Oh, well, I know what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do indeed. Well, I mean, I guess first we're going to have to watch my Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, and then we'll have to, we're going to have to do a whole series binge, which I'm sure we'll talk about when it happens. I also think skipping the second movie would be hilarious. I think skipping the second movie would also be hilarious. Or, yeah, watch the third movie and then go back and watch the <laughs> second movie just for fun. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Because yeah. do we know there's like, it, is it a continuation of the story? Do we know? Or is that's it? That's a great question. I think we'll find out when we watch My Big Fat Greek <laughs> Wedding 3 <laughs> without, without watching the sequel. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I like... I like how the story, it's obviously rooted in Greek culture and like there's a very heavy family element to it, but it's so universal marrying family with like love interest and their, I guess, ideals don't match. Yeah. I feel like it's a love letter to Greek culture just as much mm -hmm. as it critiques the problematic aspects of Greek culture or it, maybe not problematic, but the the parts about it that are inconvenient or overly traditional. Yeah. And it that leads me to the point where, okay, I cannot get over the fact that Joey Fatone is in this movie. 
And Joey Fatone is like the most Italian person in the world. And I was like, hold on. This Italians are Mediterranean culture as well. And this this movie satirizes all of Mediterranean culture. Yeah. Particularly Italian culture. And I was like, I as an Italian person, I am offended that they have <laughs> Italian people just like playing Greeks in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's hilarious, actually. I'm I'm offended because no, Italians are so much like this as well. Like th- this movie is is it, it satirizes all of Mediterranean culture because Italians are you know obviously that you know different different church. You know Greeks have Greek Orthodox Orthodox and. Italians are just all Catholic, but I mean, same thing, big, loud, chaotic families. And I, though I guess in my experience, they're a little less cagey about dating non-Italians. I don't think anyone in my family's ever cared about that. Well, that's good. Oh, man, but there's so much, there's so much funny shit about this movie. Uh, Ian's family, for one. Ian's family is so funny. Just like when they cut from like this loud, boisterous environment to them all like sitting there with their hands on their laps, not saying anything. I swear to God, Ian's dad is Steve Jobs. Honest. Oh my God. Honestly, yeah. Like he's sitting there like in the turtleneck and the jeans and they're like, well, ask the country club if we can get you married there. <laughs> <laughs> country club, first of all. I also love the way that they come around to the culture. Yes, I do like that. Like, I think it's so funny that by the time they get to the wedding, they're just like, well, we're going to take shots and go do the silly dance. And that's going to be that, I guess. Yeah, because they could have, like, just kept pushing that. And they could have made Ian's parents, I guess, not the villains, but, like, villain adjacent. They could have made them the bad guys throughout the whole movie. But they don't. They, uh, they make them come around and they reconcile. And I think that's nice. Yeah, and I also, I, that, that brings up the point to me that this is unlike, this is probably going to not be like most of the other rom-coms that are on this list because this movie does not follow the rom-com formula at all. Like, she and Ian just start dating and there's no there's no hiccups. Like, she tries to break up with him because her family won't understand and he's like, no, like, I think I love you and I just want to be with you. And there are no major setbacks. You know, I mean, her. I guess her dad tries to stop it, but he doesn't really make any headway. Yeah, there's no, like, will they, won't they. Like, you know they will. It's just a matter of getting everyone to accept that. Yeah, it's so this movie follows the, the journey more than, like, getting from point A to point B is going to be the funny part, not will they or won't they get from point A to point B. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that brought me to like another trope where they had the trope, but they like did it in a tasteful way where she's not like other girls. I hate that she's not like other girls so much, which I fear we will run into a lot. But like there's a reason why she's not like other girls and why she feels different. It's rooted in something real, I guess. And uh, like, you know, because you have the scene of her going to Greek school and stuff and, you know, she the the popular girls don't want her to eat the lunch table but then when she decides not to be frumpy anymore she does it because she's trying to get her life together not for some guy right and then she goes and sits with the popular girls like she goes to college and goes you know what i i can do this and she doesn't like straighten her hair you know like she keeps her big hair yeah she embraces the parts of her that are still her she just tries a little harder and it's it's adorable and it's it's empowering like this might be the least sexist rom-com that we encounter on this entire list 
That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate because this this movie is still this movie's still pretty sexist, but like it's poking fun at this like it's it's written by a woman. It's poking fun at the sexism that's inherent in really patriarchal cultures. Right, like Deadass the Dad is just like, women shouldn't do this. Women can't do that. And even the mom's like, okay, come on. Speaking of which, the mom and the, and the dad in this movie are so brilliant. They're so funny. They are so funny. Like the dad putting fucking Windex on everything kills me. When when she gets the pimple and then he gets the pimple and she's like, where'd your pimple go? And he's like, I put Windex on it. That was just, that was so funny to me. I was, just, I was <laughs> sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, this man. But it just, they pound that Windex joke at the beginning. Like he sprays Windex on like 15 different things in the first 15 minutes. And maybe he's on to something. I also love how they they had the weird grandma. They just decided the grandma was lucid for the last like 20 minutes of the movie. Like she was just she just decided not to be crazy anymore and it was fine. Yeah, that went nowhere and I'm not mad it went nowhere. I think it's funny that it went nowhere. Like she was so crazy and then um and then what? Yeah, like literally. I feel like that's that's my only other like my only major gripe with this movie is that it's it's just kind of cheap. Like it's it was made on a shoestring budget and it's it's not fancy. It's not fancy at all. And I I I really don't like the music in this movie. Like the second time around the music like actively drove me nuts. Oh no. I don't remember it. It sounded to me like white people listened to one Greek song one time and just created one culturally stereotypical light motif and they just used it over and I mean they were like there were like two alternating themes in this movie and one of them feels racist I don't know if it's racist but it feels I don't know it feels like a white guy's take on Mediterranean style music and then there was just like one other main theme that's not very interesting so I don't know I guess I didn't like the, the music for this at all yeah, that checks out. Oh my god, there there were so many just like small details in this movie, like the mom just planting every idea in the dad's mind. Like the dad doesn't have a single good idea in this movie. They're all the mom's ideas, but it's that whole like the woman needs the neck. Yeah, like and and they're like we have to make him think that it was his idea. Like Tula going to computer school. And or or just like Tula goes to the travel agency. <laughs> Speaking, speaking of the travel agency, Aunt Vula has my entire heart. She is the funniest character. I love her so much. The fucking story about her twin. <laughs> what was she's that si- about? She's sitting there like telling Ian's parents on the couch that she had her twin removed. And they're like <laughs> zonked on Greek schnapps or whatever. And they're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah, I... I love her so much. And I love how each of the characters had their own little wacky thing um, without it being a bit, too. Yeah. Like, each of the characters are different and wacky in their own way uh, without that becoming a shtick. Yeah, like, uh, Athena, her older sister, is just like a Chicago hacky mom. I gotta take my kids to hacky. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking everybody's name is Nick, too. Like, everyone's yes. got the same three names. <laughs> <laughs> All the men are Nick. This is Nicky, Nick, 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 and Nick. <laughs> uh, what were the names? I wrote down. I wrote down the names that they used: Anita, Diane, and Nick. This is their kids: Anita, Diane, and Nick, and Nick, and Nick, and Nick, and Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like cousin Nicky too. Um, 
just yeah cousin nikki her brother nick like everyone's name is fucking nick or nico good perfect i would not have it any other way I think the I think the small detail that killed me the most was the plastic slip covers on all of their furniture. Yes, I noticed that. I thought that shit was so funny. Oh my gosh, when they baptize Ian in the kiddie pool. <laughs> I don't know. All of all of this except for Ian, all of this movie is so charming. I feel like it just leans into how kitschy Europeans tastes can be. Like particularly <laughs> particularly Greek people like like the bridesmaids having the most tacky dresses in the world and their earrings like it's just all so silly yeah i was expecting some kind of fight from tula about the dress like the family just kept making choices without her and i expected some fight from her but she was just kind of like whatever yeah like at the end of the day she it almost the movie feels almost like a good improv game. Like she never really denies her family. She just kind yeah. of yes ands everything. And Ian also just kind of goes along for the ride, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I do like that about him. There's like one or two times where he like stands up a little bit and I'm like, mm, sit back down, friend. Sit back down, friend. Oh my gosh, when they all the funny Greek sentences that they make Ian say. Perfect. I feel like it's only, no, there's only the two of them, but they're still both really funny. Yeah, and like, what a perfect um, brother trait, you know? Yeah, I, you know, the first time I watched the movie, like, I did not, I didn't really like the brother. Like, I thought his acting was weird. But as I was watching it the second time, I was like, no, he's just a very, very beautiful man. And there's like that one moment where he's like sitting with Tula and he says that like quasi deep quote and it's from like, it's like from an advice column in a newspaper or something. And I was like, oh, that's why that moment read is so dumb to me the first time. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to talk about that. I love his relationship with Tula. I love their relationship. He really looks up to her and he just worships the ground she stands on. Because it just feels very natural. Like they will argue and they will tease each other to the end of the earth. But also they do love each other. And I think that's cute. I think as far as the brother goes, one of the only things that I'm disappointed about is I I want I wanted closure on his art. Mm. Like he pitches his drawings for the menu to the dad a couple of times, but it it felt like a rule of three that didn't connect. Like I wanted to see a menu later that like he had drawn and it was like, hey, there's Nick's art like on the menu. But we didn't we did not get that. And I was kind of sad about it. Yeah, I wonder if it was like a cut for time kind of thing cuz this movie was fast. It flew by. Yeah, this movie's this movie's pretty short. Definitely under 90 minutes. I I also as soon as they were like, "We bought you a house." I was like, "$10,000. It's the house right next door oh, to absolutely. their house." Oh, absolutely. There's no way that it's not. Yeah, this was just this was just a cute this was just a cute self-contained movie and I just enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what my big fat Greek wedding three brings to the table. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be that's gonna be so wonderful. Okay, come on, you guys, let's get serious. Stop dicking around. Okay, what do you think? Should we should we get into talking about how we're gonna rank these movies and like what we're gonna talk about when we factor stuff in? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, so we have a certain set of criteria that we're gonna use. The goal is that we sort the movies as we go. Like the movies kind of sort themselves. So we have a few categories. So firstly, are there boobs? Shouldn't affect the score, but 
it's just nice to know. You should you should know if there are boobs in a romantic comedy. I think you should know that going in. I think that is a very important factor. Okay, so first, are there boobs? Uh, is it written or directed by a woman? The ever-pressing question with rom-coms is, were women involved in the making of this movie? And it's, it's an important question, almost as important as the boobs question. Yeah, so those are, those are our, our, our qualifiers that don't really affect the quality of the movie, but you know, maybe if there are two movies that are really, really close, one of those two things could push one movie above the other. I don't know. Okay, so are there boobs? Is it written or directed by a woman? Then we want to talk about the actual quality on a scale of 1 to 10, the rom-com quality on a scale of 1 to 10, and then if it's applicable, ironic enjoyment, scale mm-hmm. of 1 to 10. So actual quality is stacking this up against movies rated on a scale of 1 to 10. And then rom-coms tend to not be as good as other movies sometimes. So I think it's pertinent that we have a rom-com quality scale of 1 to 10. And then if it's a really bad movie, but you still... there's The ironic enjoyment is like a, is it so bad that it's good? Mm-hmm. Like, so that I've seen... I've seen I can't remember what YouTube channel it is. I feel like there was a YouTube channel where they would rate something on a scale of 10 to negative 10, where like a negative nine would be, this is an awful movie, but it's really enjoyable ironically. So Mm. the ironic enjoyment, it's not going to pertain to every movie. Like, I don't think it pertains to this one, but it's there. And then we have how sexist is it? Scale of one to 10. How generally problematic is it? Scale of one to 10. And then just a space for our general thoughts and a review. And then all of that gives it a grade out of 100. So since we're only watching 75 rom-coms, the goal is that we don't give any two movies the same score. So that by the time it's time to rank all of them, they're roughly in the order that they should be. And then we can go through and we can reference the podcast and anything else if we want to shuffle those rankings a little bit just based on the scores. Yeah. Yeah. So, for my big fat Greek wedding, there are no boobs. Womp womp. I will say, though, I was thinking about this boob question, as I oft do, mm-hmm. and I think there's something to be said about whether boobs are necessary in the story, um, because there's no boobs in my big fat Greek wedding, but I don't think there should be boobs, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So, I feel like there should be, uh, like, is there boobs, and then should there be boobs? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a little less qualified to answer these questions, so I'll I'll always refer to, to <laughs> Kylie on the, should there be boobs in this movie? Uh, the answer is no for this one. I think it was good that it did not have boobs. Yeah, I thought it was tasteful, and I think it was good that they aired on the side of very family-friendly. I feel like this is one of the only movies on this list that is rated PG as well. Oh. Like, this this movie, it has no bad language in it like this is a very much this is i'd say this is almost not a romantic comedy and almost more of like a family comedy like it it really straddles that line i think i think it can be all three things family romantic comedy i think it can be all three of those things but i i also think uh no boobs is appropriate because it makes this a very family friendly movie and i think this is such a fun movie to watch with your family so there are no boobs in my big fat greek wedding but it is written by a woman not only is it written by a woman, it is written by a woman based on her own life experience, which is pretty sweet. Which is honestly um, probably not going to be a trend among these movies. So it's very, very nice that we you know, have it's this. Probably, it's probably not going to be a trend. Uh, the, the movie, spoiler alert, the movie that we're doing next week is What Women Want. And oh. I 
I remember hating this movie, and I remember hating even more that it was written by a woman. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it is written by a woman. I'll have to double check on that before we get to it. But just because it's written by women does not mean that it's going to be empowering to women. Uh Uh-oh. So, Kylie, what do you think of my Big Fat Greek Wedding uh, scale of 1 to 10? Like, actual quality. Actual quality? I think I'm going a solid... Solid eight. I went for I went for an eight and a half out of ten on this one for actual quality. I thought this was a pretty dang good movie. I was I was pretty I was pretty stoked about it. Yeah, I think I think Ian's really the only thing that's knocking it down for me. Yeah, that's fair. Just really hated him. So if if your actual quality is an eight out of ten, where are you going for rom com quality? I think it's gotta be a nine. This is gonna be probably one of the best things we watch, but I gotta save that nine nine point five ten spot for something that might just blow it out of the water you know i i'm not since we're giving these movies a scale a grade out of 100 i'm not too shy about going into that nine and a half uh 10 out of 10 range for this i i went with a nine and a half out of 10 so my actual quality was an eight and a half my rom-com quality was a nine and a half so we we were on the same same track i think you were just a little more conservative about this one yeah I think this is also just, this is a movie like I watched with my family when I was younger and I liked this movie a lot and I was, I was really surprised by how well it held up. So I gave this movie, I gave this movie pretty good scores in that range. Yeah. And I don't have that attachment to it. I haven't seen this movie at all until uh, I watched it for this. Yeah. And then for ironic enjoyment, I put not applicable. I I don't think this is a, a so bad it's good type movie. How sexist, scale of one to 10, Kylie, how sexist do you think this movie is? I think... I think it's like a two, I'd say, just because there are sexist moments, but most of the time they are just played as like poking fun, you know? I felt the sexist moments were so self-aware that I gave this movie a one out of ten. I Yeah, because... I redact that to a one and a half. Yeah, I think this is like a, a one, two out of ten sexist movie. And I said the same thing for how problematic it is. Like... It was written by a Greek person, so any tropes about Greek people feel pretty earned, I guess. So I also gave this a 1 out of 10 for problematicness. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree. Yeah, that's it. So the, the, the only thing left to do is give it a final grade out of 100. I think we could, I think we could meet in the middle there and go like a 93. I, I actually went with a 90 on this one. I went with a, I went with a firm 90 out of 100 because... I, I want to be sort of conservative with with the first movie, but this this movie definitely feels like something that is in the 90th percentile of all rom-coms. And I'd be pretty surprised if there were 10 movies that I'd put above it. Yeah. Yeah. So like my my grade out of 100 doesn't necessarily coordinate to like my rom-com quality where I called it like a nine and a half. Um, I, I think just giving it like a final grade. I think I think a 90 out of 100 is pretty, pretty safe to go on this one. Yeah, I ad- I'd agree. Cool. So My Big Fat Greek Wedding is a 90 out of 100. And as it is the only movie, it is currently in first place on our list. Woo! I love it. I loathe it. I loathe it. Okay, so now we are moving on to... We're just gonna... We're gonna talk a little bit. So we've, we've, we've covered the movie. My Big Fat Greek Wedding is a 90 out of 100. We both really, really liked it. And now we're gonna move on to... Kylie, what's some what's some stuff you've you've watched or seen or read lately? Anything you want to give anything anything you like, anything you hate right now? Uh well, I just finished Good Omens season 2, which I absolutely adored. 
I thought it was so fun and so gay. It's sometimes just very nice to watch gay content, like, like light stuff, I guess. Because I'm also reading the Rick Riordan, Nico and Will spinoff book for the Percy Jackson franchise. And both of these things, Good Omens and the book that I'm reading, they're very elementary gay, if that makes sense. Like, it's the kind of stuff I'd want to read as soon as I came out. And so sometimes I feel like it can come off a little cringe as someone who has been out for years now. Uh, it's like, yeah, we know coming out is weird and awkward. Can we move on to more fun stuff? I'm specifically talking about the book right now. But like this book was not made for me, you know? It was made for the 12, 13 year olds who read this kind of YA stuff. And if I had something like that when I was 12 or 13, I think that would have been life changing, you know? Well, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying that. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I also just finished season two of of something. You said it was Good Omens that you saw. Yes, it What's is. What's that on? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's about you know an angel and a demon. Um, the first season is them trying to stop the apocalypse from happening because they quite enjoy their life on Earth. Yeah. No. Sounds good. I just finished. Um, I just finished the Bear season two, which was insane. Probably intense. I, the bear is the bear is a very intense show. A lot of existential dread, a lot of stress. I mean, it's a show that takes place in a, a high a high class kitchen, and anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant knows that kitchens are absolute fucking bedlam sometimes. So it was just, it was it was a lot. But I I watched both seasons of the bear pretty recently, and they were both excellent. Season two was even better than season one, though, and I am. I'm so looking forward to season three of that show. Good. It's renewed for season three? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's renewed. It's renewed for season three. We don't, I don't think we know when it's coming. I mean, season two just dropped. Like, it dropped in the last few months. But I, I'm worried that it's not going to get the recognition that it deserves because Hulu drops everything all at once. So I feel like the, I feel like most of the internet binged this show, adored it, and then they're just going to forget about it. And I feel like if they'd released it over 10 weeks this show would be getting a lot more hype for, for the achievement that it is. I agree. I love a good binge model. I love binging things, but it also like causes you to lose interest quickly as well. Yeah, which I, I hate that Disney makes me wait for The Mandalorian, but the fact that they make me wait for every episode of The Mandalorian, I'm thinking about The Mandalorian for a solid three months of my life every single week. And I especially a show as good as the bear. I think if they released weekly, the show would have a lot more hype and there would be a lot more online discourse about it though. There already is a fair amount of online discourse about it. People really fucking like the bear. Good. Have you seen, have you seen Barbie or Oppenheimer? Of course I've seen Barbie. I have not seen Oppenheimer um, because I don't care about the bomb. I've only seen, (laughs) I've only seen Oppenheimer and you've only seen Barbie. But I, I feel like I don't want to hear your thoughts on Barbie until I've seen Barbie because I'm weird about spoilers. That's very fair. All I can say is two thumbs all the way up. <laughs> two thumbs all the way up. Uh, other than that, man, I am reading, I'm reading the Dune series right now in preparation for Dune Part 2. Even though it only covers the first book, I, I wanted to read both, you know, the, the, the Paul Atreides story is 
uh, Dune and Dune 2, Dune Messiah. I don't like Dune Messiah at all. Oh, no. <laughs> like, Dune itself is so good, but Dune Messiah is so boring. I'm pretty sure it could be a 30-page pamphlet, and it would it would be fine. How many Dune books are there? There are six. It's so funny. I was just I was just on the internet and I saw this like a guide to Dune. If you want to read Dune, it's like if you want just like a good book and you don't care about the whole Paul Atreides story, just read Dune. If you want to read the Paul Atreides story, read Dune and Dune Messiah. Dune Messiah is so short that it it might as well just be an epilogue to Dune. And then it's like, but that third Dune book, it sucks. Everybody <laughs> hates it. But the fourth Dune book is apparently really, really incredible. Arguably the best of the whole series. Oh, wow. So you have to suffer before you get the good stuff. Yeah, I'm really not sure if I have Children of Dune in me. Dune Messiah was such a slog. And apparently Children of Dune is, is even worse. But God Emperor of Dune is supposedly excellent. And then uh, books five and six are purported to also not be very good. And people just read them if you're a completionist, which... I don't know. I, I don't know if I have completionism in me. But <laughs> I am so excited for Dune Part 2 in November. Since I have the whole Paul Atreides story, I might stop after Dune Messiah. But, oh, man, am I excited for that movie. Yay. Uh, any books you've read lately that you're really into? Besides this Rick Riordan one, not really. I kind of fell off of reading for a little while. But this one's this one's getting me back into it. So that's got to be a good thing. I feel like I have a high volume of book opinions right now because my my commute to work is an hour each way. So I've gotten heavy into audiobooks since going mm. to this theater. And I have listened to both of Abraham Verghese's books on audiobook, The Covenant of Water, his most recent book, and Cutting for Stone, which is his first book that came out like 10 years ago. Both of these books are so stunning. Oh, Yay. my God. I, I, I listened to The Covenant of Water first because it was it was just highly recommended on the Audible app. And it was easily the best book I've ever read, listened to, but both. So it's long. It's long as hell. It's like a 35-hour audiobook. I think the the hardcover I went I liked it so much that I went and bought the hardcover at BAM. And the hardcover is like 700 pages. This oh. book is fucking gorgeous. It's it's I think it's just about the only time that I've read a 700 page book and I just I wanted so bad for it to be a thousand pages like really? I wanted I wanted so much more of this book when I finished it. It was so freaking good and cutting for stone. I'm almost done with it. I've got like three hours left in the audiobook, but I, I'm 90 percent through it at this point. It's a little shorter. It's a 25 hour audiobook, So I think it's a five or 600 page book. Cutting for Stone is also very good. It's not as good as the cutting as uh, the Covenant of Water, but it's also he wrote it like 10 years ago. There were 10 years between his first book and his second book. And oh, boy, the Covenant of Water deserved that 10 years because holy shit. That's the thing I've been noticing a lot about movies, TV shows, books even is it's a good thing when they leave you wanting more. I hate when they leave me wanting more because I want more, but that's so much better than saying, this is too much, actually. Yeah, like, I've had, oh my gosh, like, even even the original Dune, it's a really, really good book, and I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy that it was written in the 1960s because it's, it's clear what an influence that it's had on sci-fi as a genre, but... 
oh my God, it can be so tedious sometimes. Like I really thought Dune is like a 750 page book that could definitely be a 400 page book. And Dune Messiah is a 300 plus page book that could easily be a 60 page book. So I was just, there, there were a lot of times where I was like, man, I, I wish these books were a little bit less and they're not. And that bummed me out. Yeah. <laughs> Which sucks. Cause I really wanted, I really wanted to just love, love, love the Dune series, but I unfortunately don't. But the Abraham Verghese's books, they're both just so good. And I'm really glad that I loved both of them. Good. I uh I've 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 discovered that I've discovered that my new favorite genre is his multi-generational Asian epics. Okay. Very specific. Because I've read I've read two of them this year. I, I read Pachinko, which is it takes place over like a hundred years and it's about a Korean family. And then the covenant of water is about a South Indian family and also takes place over like 70 something years, 70, 75 years. These books have no plot to speak of. That's, that's another book recommend by the way. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee is so, so, so beautiful. And these books, they're not, they don't have a much of a plot to speak of, but they're really, really human. Ah. And I think that I think the way that they showcase humanity is really beautiful. Yeah, I don't necessarily need plot for books. I need I need dialogue. I think I just have a short attention span is all. I was I was really surprised by how much I didn't need plot in these more recent books that I've been reading that just like well, they, they do have a plot like things happen, but there's not like a big through line. Like there's not like a hero's journey or something like we're just along for the crazy roller coaster that is the human experience in these characters lives Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that that sums up my thoughts on media that i'm paying attention to right now now it's time to talk about our shark of the week what kylie loves sharks sharks are kylie's favorite thing and i felt like this podcast would not be complete without kylie giving us a shark of the week hey it's shark boy so this First shark of the week can only go to the one and only goblin shark. Um, he's very ugly. I think that is his defining trait, the goblin shark. Um, they live in the pretty, pretty deep sea. Um, very occasionally do they come to shore. But they can get about, I think, like 9 to 13 feet long. And they're very grotesque. They have a very long snout. And they have really flabby bodies. Um, and their jaws, their jaws will shoot out to catch their prey, like will shoot out beyond their mouths. And this happens in other animals, but not as much as the goblin shark does. I think it goes out like six or seven miles per hour, which is like not a lot, but weird, you know? <laughs> that um, <is> so weird. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> Sharks are insane. I know. It's attached to elastic, the jaw, essentially. It's like these elastic pieces in its mouth um and the elastic is like pulled really taut when it's in its resting position but uh when it shoots its jaw out that elastic like lets go and that's how it catches its prey because they think there's not a lot known about goblin sharks they're very very rare they're not like endangered or anything um as far as we know they're just very rare um so we don't know a ton about them they're very slow moving so they think that that's one of their tactics is shooting out their jaw and um, and they have semi-translucent skin, so you can kind of see their blood and organs, and that's why they appear like a pinkish-brown color. They're disgusting, but I love them so much. 
I love that. This has been the Shark of the Week. <laughs> Final summation. Okay, Kylie, I think that just about wraps up this very first episode of the Gold Loppers podcast. Woo! Uh, where, if, if anyone happens upon this absolutely cursed podcast, where can they find you on social media? They can find me on Instagram at Kylie Ann Stone and on TikTok at Kylie A. Stone. Where can they find you, Ethan? Oh my gosh, they can find me. My handles are the same on every platform. It is Ethan May Act. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Those are the the main three that I use. We also both we both have YouTube channels. Oh my god, so true. My my YouTube channel is just my name. It's just Ethan May. And yours is yours is Kylie Ann Stone, right? I believe so, yes. Kylie just released her second video in her four-part series of Night at the Museum essays, which is yeah, so very exciting. It was so good. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a it's a four-hour deep dive into Battle of the Smithsonian, which is I had so much fun. You did so well on that. I loved it so much. Thank you. And I am I am just about to. I by the time this goes live, I will have I will have a second video. I will have like part two of my what it's like to be a professional actor video. I'll have that up. Yo! I shot that. I shot that yesterday. Um, I was going to make two videos, like one about like the tech dress and preview process. And then one about like a typical seven show week. And I realized that a whole video about a seven show week would literally just be clips of me getting to the theater, saying something before we go on stage, saying something at intermission and then like getting in the car to go home. Like it would be like the most <laughs> boring video ever because we you know, then maybe on, on two show days, there would be dinner break. But I was like, this is dumb. And I feel like it would just be more fun to talk about tech, dress, previews. And then also just, hey, this is where I am now. We've been open for a month. And this is what it feels like being a pro. And That's so I think exciting. That would be, yeah. So that'll be that'll be done uh, probably by the time this drops. I'm not exactly sure when we're going to start dropping these. But that is that is what we're working on. Yay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for it. I thank you, everybody, as if anyone I, I really hope I kind of hope no one listens to this. This podcast is not for people. It's for us. Yeah, I think I think we're going to get a solid two listens and one will make it like a full three quarters of the way through. Uh, one will click off after about maybe four minutes. Yeah, I I, I, I I think even less than four minutes. I think I think two and a <laughs> half. I think I think that it, I dare say the intro might get most prospective <laughs> listeners the fuck out of here. <laughs> they're going to hear, I'm definitely not Jeff Goldblum. And they're going to be like, Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, man, I was I signed on for Jeff Goldblum. Damn oh, it. no. I was so excited to watch the hit movie Vibe starring Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper. And this is totally not the hit 1988 movie Vibe starring Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper. Oh, man. This is a gold lopper, though. So true. I mean, we we did just gold those loppers. We golded the loppers for, some might say, the first time. The, we we golded those loppers for the very first time, and I'm I'm so proud of us. <laughs> Baby's first gold lopper. <laughs> Baby's first gold lopper. <laughs> my feeling, my, my face when baby does its first, when, when baby golds its first lopper. Oh, that's disgusting. It's a good thing that we're so normal. Much like the goblin shark, that sentence was disgusting. <laughs> Uh, righty. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to this inaugural episode of the Gold Loppers podcast. My name is again, Ethan May. And I'm Kylie Stone. And we will see you next week.